Tiffany Moore. Don't really feel like putting this episode out right now, but um, these are getting downloads, so if it's helpful to someone else out there, I want to keep doing it because I don't know, I feel like I've just been taking in so much non-stop information on every possible perspective and viewpoint and prediction and just haven't been sleeping and like I know that's not the way humans are meant to operate but I just feel like everything else in my life just feels like so inconsequential and I want to be lighting people up honestly like left and right there's so much I just a lot of it is just lack of sleep honestly I feel like if I could if I slept I could like formulate my thoughts better Um, like, I understand that everything I say on this podcast for my entire life has come from, like, a very privileged point of view. I've never, like, denied that. I've always accepted that. And it, I don't know how this is all going to connect, but these are just thoughts coming out. Um, so I, I think it's, like... You, sometimes you feel like your voice gets lost in like just the mass of voices that are happening, especially now on social media where everybody can like 
constantly just like berate and shame each other and like condemn each other and just you know say how wrong what the other person is just constantly doing wrong and like I don't know to me I've always just tried to remain curious and open about subjects I didn't understand or subjects I didn't know about like I grew up in such a religious household and I wasn't really taught to care about anyone who wasn't white. And there's like this point where you can continue living your life like that, but you're never going to be able to really experience everything life has to offer in this way. And I had to be the one who remained curious about people who were not white and choose to not always believe like everything my environment was telling me, you know, to choose to think outside of like these things that I was hearing around me, even from my own family about people who were not white, you know, and like whatever the fuck white savior complex is I don't know I've never actually looked up the exact definition but I'm sure it's me I'm sure it's like I'm really fucking annoying to a lot of people I have no doubt in my mind that I rub people the wrong way and I don't say the right things and I'm not like you know I, I my delivery isn't always the right way but like I always try to stay open and curious about everything and I'm not too proud in anything that I'm saying to like, like uh, I can see the irony in uh, one of the previous episodes I put out saying, you know, I, I could see Trump leading us into this dystopian future and like, surprise, it's daddy Biden um, taking us into this fucking ridiculousness. And, I mean, like, am I surprised? No. Like, I don't, I'm not surprised at all. But that's part of choosing the lesser of two evils. Like, Daddy Biden's been doing a lot of fucking shady shit that I'm not crazy about. But this is definitely, like, I see the irony. I can, I, I, and it's so much of life it's just constantly learning and the way that we take in information so quickly it's like you could put a video out and we're even seeing this with a lot of creators like you could put a video out a, a week ago and already at this point it could be viewed in a completely different light than what it was on the day that it came out like a lot of people who were, you know, quote unquote, canceled on the internet were like things from years and years and years ago that they found that they were like canceling them over. Like now it can happen overnight. Like you can be canceled. Over. Like that's how quickly things change. And that's how quickly we digest this information. Now it's like what you were firmly believing one day could completely change because like you're taking on this, like it's, it's fucking it's weird and it's something like we haven't really experienced on this level before where we're seeing so many people paying attention to this now and like the very, very deep rabbit hole 
that it is exposing this like really fucking insidious wound that we're just like peeling off the scab of what America is for a lot of us like you know something we always knew but it's just like very fucking highlighted right now and the conflict I feel within my body because you can just feel it like there's just tension in the air you can feel it you can just feel like the suffering I can feel the suffering I can feel it like in my body all the time that's like whether I'm taking in information during the day or like if I'm just trying to like just sit with myself and figure my fucking thoughts out it's just like this constant knowing of what the fuck is happening right now and not even feeling helpless because I see like you if you can zoom out enough in this moment which is fucking hard I know but if you can zoom out enough you can see like holy shit are we making an impact like there is a huge shift happening right now and it's fucking incredible because these people are able to connect like white and brown people like all of these people are connecting in this way that we've never connected before because like America's always kind of had this idea that you know brown people are terrorists that's kind of the narrative we've always been fed and now we're seeing like not that all of us you know bought into that but we are seeing each other as humans now you know through the help of social media in this way where we're not just seeing like brown people depicted on the news a certain way and it's fucking incredible and even like people who have been protesting what's been happening you know in um gaza and the west bank for for you know years and years and years now they're finally even saying like shit this is like the most attention that has ever been like you can't help but know that there's going to be some kind of huge change happening here but like we're also seeing this big divide within Israel itself and that's almost reflecting back to the United States the huge divide that we still experience here and a lot of the same you know we can reflect back and like mirror back a lot of the same um oppression is still happening here in America too you know like we have a lot to clean up with in our own borders and we always have and this has been all happening for a very long time but like just like COVID you know we're pulling off like we're pulling up another layer of this deep deep fucking wound that is like a humanity and we're looking at ourselves in this whole new light we're seeing like this other really weird thing of like leftists and liberals kind of creating tension and I don't know if like a new group is going to be formed from this I don't necessarily like want a divide to happen there but you you can see how deeply cemented so many people are into the propaganda that they've been fed you know about people in the Middle East and like 
it's just, it's just, just fucking crazy, man. It's just a crazy time to be. It's just crazy to like. <sighs> I don't know. I, I'm just like. You just do everything, you know. I, I used to like when I was a kid, you know, when I was younger, when I could like, really understand that I had my own voice and. I was able to use a voice in a way that could help you. I remember, like, in high school, there was this girl. Um, she was adopted, and she was only in our school for maybe a year or two, I think. Maybe a year, maybe not even a year. Um, and I want to say I was in eighth or ninth grade. I think ninth grade. And um, I became really close friends with this girl, um, and she, uh, we shared a lot of, you know, secrets with each other and told, told each other a lot of things about our lives. And she opened up to me and told me that her foster dad was molesting her. And, you know, I just had this deep sense to like, I helped her run away. Like looking back, do I think that was the right thing to do? I don't know. But like at the time... I just had this very, very deep sense that, like, I had to get her away from the harm that she was experiencing. So, like, she had this aunt that she could go stay with, and we contacted her, and we, like, got her bus tickets to go to her aunt, like, me and my friend. I had her um, talk to her mom so she could stay at my friend's house, like, as, like, a safe haven until, you know, we could get her a bus ticket out of here and go stay with her aunt. And, like, looking back, like, I, I don't know if that was the fucking registry, but that's, like, this overwhelming, like, you know, whatever the fuck it is. I don't know. I don't know if so many times, like, I don't know, you know, the purest intentions, like, still aren't always the right fucking decisions, you know? And... So I just, I just go back and forth in my mind a lot about what my voice is and what my role is and like how I'm supposed to help people. And when I was younger, that was like being really, really, really in people's face and aggressive and um, graphic, you know, just bombarding people with like the atrocities that were happening in the world. And... I think really charismatic, talented people have a way of getting through to people with their voice, like mass crowds of people. I don't think just anyone has that ability, to be honest, um, especially just not any random person with a social media account. And I, I, I've witnessed that and like I was that and I understand that you will get through to, you can get through to a large group of people being that way. But usually the group of people you're getting through to is already somewhat open to hearing the things that you're talking about. Because when you're coming off aggressive in that way, if people aren't interested in what you're saying, they'll just turn you right off. So my approach at this point in my life is what it is, you know, the podcast and what I do you know, my voice through social media as, you know, very, very limited as that is. I think, honestly, for me, there are people 
who are going to be able to create these mass movements with great large groups of people. But for the most part, I think most of us are affecting a very small group of people on a daily basis. And in my mind, I kind of see it as like, that's what some people are meant for, where other people are meant for impacting these greater audiences. That's not me. Like, I 100% know I couldn't commit to that. Like, that's just, I'm not that person. The way I see it in my head is like, me affecting even just one person in this like tiny group of people that I affect and then that person is going to affect like it's just like this constant rippling effect and in that way without coming off as like aggressive or like you should be doing this why aren't you doing this and just like shaming people and making people feel like they're doing something wrong that doesn't tend to work with people that doesn't tend to get through to people so even if you don't agree with my politics and you're listening to my podcast because you just like me you might take in some of the things that I'm saying because you're open to hearing that perspective from me and I'm saying it in a way that is easier to digest the information So you're not just kind of like having someone yell at you. So that's just my thing, you know, like I would 100% be in a hot air balloon 24-7 like with a megaphone yelling about the fucking atrocities happening in the world. But that's just not effective for me personally. This is my voice now and it has like always evolved throughout time. This is where I feel like I have created the most impact and change on a daily basis and where I see the ripple effect happening most so um you know if you if you're annoyed that I don't speak out more or if I'm that I'm not more you know dramatic or whatever like I totally get it that's totally understandable like I want you to just go up and like shake people and be like do you fucking understand what is happening but you can't convince people when they don't think their actions are wrong. Like you're not gonna convince anybody if they think what they're doing is right, you're not gonna convince them of otherwise. Like you have to, people have to be open and willing and curious and that's why I'm always gonna remain that. If I say something to make myself sound like a fucking asshole, I don't give a shit if anyone calls me out on it because like that's evolving, like that's, being a human being and that's just like part of learning from your mistakes and that's just like what it's about it's not about like constantly shaming people and making them feel stupid and making them feel like idiots it's just like it's just not that's just not an effective approach for me at this point in my life and we have a ton of people like the youth of today holy shit man they're a different breed yo like they The kids out there are different today. Like, they are doing incredible things to resist. It's fucking amazing. But, okay, I'm gonna... This has already been too much. Um, Because I just don't feel like I'm in the right headspace to even be talking about this right now. Okay. If you're not already, please get into 
a comfortable place. I'm going to light a candle here where you can relax for this short time that we have together. And then you can go back to the doom scrolling. No one's trying to stop you from that. No one is trying to hold you back from that. I promise you that. Do all the doom scrolling, but for now, let's just take this time. We're going to do three deep breaths quickly to just kind of center ourselves. If you're in a place where you can close your eyes, close your eyes. So we're going to do three deep breaths, and this time I want you to set an intention. And that can be to just release that can be to try to find more space for love and acceptance of people and where they're at. That can be just centering, you know, the anger inside of you and trying to find a way to express that in a healthy way. Whatever the intention is, the, the intention can just be to be present in the moment right now. Like, you know, try to keep it easy where we're going to take... Three deep breaths, set an intention right now for what you want in this time together. And we're going to take our first deep breath, inhale. Exhale. Inhale. Let it go. Last one, deepest breath you've taken all day. Inhale. Let it go. Notice how you feel. All right. Chapter three. Now I'm going to need some water first here. I don't really swallow that hard. I just do it for a fact. That's what she said. All right. Chapter 3, Asheville, Bed and Breakfast. My main objective was to get as far away as soon as possible. So on day one of this solo journey outward and inward, I drove all the way to Asheville, North Carolina, which, if you stop for lunch in Baltimore and briefly wander the blocks of your alma mater, is roughly a 12-hour drive. I landed at the bed and breakfast at about 10 p.m., and it was everything I had imagined— Chimes hanging down from the Victorian carport, a massive, a massive veranda with multiple rocking chairs and homemade sweets kept fresh under the saran wrap on the table in the foyer. It was old-fashioned, with wood finishes and cozy knickknacks the owners probably collected over the course of their life together. The friendly woman that was there late to meet me gave me my keys and showed me my room. They were actual keys! A large, clunky, old-school key was for the front door, and another actual key was for my room. 
None of those plastic electronic touch cards that hardly ever work on the first try. So far, this was exactly like Gilmore Girls. Gilmore Girls was my main reference point for the bedding breakfast. I'd never stayed in one, but I had heard Asheville was full of verandas, and that led me directly to my Sookie and Lorelei fantasy. I'd stay in a B&B. I can talk fast if I really try, and I already drink heaping amounts of coffee. This was what I needed, to be thrown into a house full of strangers, homemade jam, and, fingers crossed, an available rocking chair. I wondered what weird characters I'd run into while dodging those double-swinging doors into the kitchen, which type of produce would be over-delivered, forcing the chef to have to create an entire menu using only zucchini, which handyman was hooking up with which housekeeper, when a mysterious package arrived and they'd have to figure out who it was for, could it be for me? I never watched Gilmore Girls when it aired. I binged it on Netflix only a few years ago. It was that comforting, fantastical nostalgia for the early 2000s that hooked me. The will-they-won't-they they between Lorelai and Luke. Side note, will-they-won't-theys are always will-theys, right? They will end up together. It's exhausting, but we fall for it every time. The timing for them just isn't right, or they're so great together, but she has to focus on work. Makes sense. But we know. We knew the whole time. If you're in a real-life will-they-won't-they scenario, are you aware of it? Do you think Ross and Rachel situations are happening all over the place? Maybe I should try to get in one of those will-they-won't-they -they work. It seems way more dramatic than my everyday life, full of stolen glances, passionate handwritten apologies, and hours spent staring longingly out of windows as it rains outside. I had, I had hardly ever spent full hours staring out windows, but maybe I should. Maybe my Rachel or Ross is out there staring longingly, thinking about me. Wow. Maybe my new confused and non-committal romance will begin right here at this B&B. Their dog could steal my shoe, and I'd have to chase it around the property, or I'd choke on a hot zucchini croquette, and they'd give me the Heimlich. So many meet-cutes, will-they-won't-they they opportunities. My room was the corner at the top of the stairs with a big bay window, a clawfoot tub, and creaky wooden floors that felt authentic, which meant, which when dealing with floors is important. Some wood floors, even though they are wood, are just bullshit, right? It's like, these are fake. Someone has gone out of their way to make these floors seem wooden. And they might technically be, but you're not fooling anyone. They've... <laughs> They're dipped in plastic gloss and have been manufactured up the wazoo. These wood floors are basically the equivalent of an Oreo being considered food. Yeah, I can ingest it like food, but it ain't the real deal. Long story short, the room was quaint and adorable. There were ample nooks and crannies filled with the books about Asheville's local history, recommendations on where to eat in town. A special seeming chocolate was in a dish on the nightstand. I was so tired from the drive, I got into bed almost immediately, staring at the painted, vaulted ceiling, a mural of the Blue Ridge Mountains. I was doing it, putting myself out there in this new, interesting place. I fell asleep picturing the beautiful and impeccable stacked homemade blackberry scones in store for me tomorrow morning at breakfast, or rhubarb, or both. And with the first light of the morning sun, I shot up in bed. 
Motherfucker. They didn't own and operate a bed and breakfast in Gilmore Girls. It was an inn. It was the Dragonfly Inn. What have I done? Right. Bed and breakfast aren't where you go to be alone or to make a space in a room in which you process what may or may not later in life be considered one of the most transformational years of your entire existence. No, you don't do that. The mere mention of staying at a bed and breakfast makes some people uncomfortable. It did when I told them. It's not like a hotel. It's more intimate, friendlier, upbeat, and inviting. I wasn't currently any of those things. What was I thinking? I don't even like people that much. I prefer being left alone. I'm hit or miss with small talk and awkwardly trying to make myself at home in a stranger's house as close to being my worst nightmare. I don't want to insert myself into the drama about the zucchini. What the fuck am I doing at a bread and breakfast? Bed and breakfast. Okay, all right. This was going to be fine. In some night sweat, Google search fever dream, I apparently made the wrong call about my lodging situation, but if anything, the breakfast had to be good. I'd figure the rest of the day of my, the rest of my day later, but I hadn't eaten anything since the hard to swallow nut bar in the car last night. I needed coffee badly, and I was going to find those homemade scones. I could hear rumblings of other guests downstairs as I opened my door. Be cool, it's fine, smile, and just be friendly. In my hesitation to rush downstairs, I almost forgot to lock my door. Right, I have to lock it. All of a sudden, I felt like a kid upstairs in my house, listening for activity down in the kitchen, locking my room before I left for school. I would never have done that, though. I'd never locked my room in my apartment I'd shared, and both my childhood bedrooms had never been locked, not even on the inside. My main childhood bedroom, what would later be my mom's house, had Pepto-Bismol pink walls with plush turquoise carpeting, colors that would drive an adult insane. Granted, my parents did choose the colors, so who knows. The built-in shelves on the wall above my trundle bed were filled with books and extensive collection of troll dolls. What a terrifying toy to collect. The thought of that shelf now feels like the preface of a nightmare or the beginning of a Law & Order episode before they find the body. Someone screaming as we pan across fluorescent troll hair. <laughs> but I was enamored of these little monsters. And I should specify that I was into the old version of trolls, the originals. They were redesigned at a certain point and I could tell the difference. No one else seemed to be able to spot the detail in the texture of the plastic or whatever material their bodies were molded from, but I could. I'd hate to call myself a troll expert, but at the time, I guess I was. If you take anything from this anecdote, let it be my eye for design. I'm going to go further away from the B&B for a moment because tangents are the most effective way I have to stall going to what I feel might be an extremely uncomfortable break, breakfast full of me half-heartedly making small talk over mediocre pastries. This pink childhood bedroom of mine was the first place that felt like my own. But as I became a teenager, I started to feel like I needed more privacy because there wasn't a lock and asking for one to be installed seemed like the acknowledgement of guilt. I'd hide things all over the room to feel like I had more control over my space. I'd slip my journal under the bed, out of sight. I don't even know what I was hiding. At 14, I had zero secrets, definitely nothing good enough to hide. I think for a time, a lot of my journals were about championing a drug-free lifestyle, 
which I eventually, if you've followed my work over the years, veered from ever so slightly. I imagine my mom or dad finding this journal, looking for juicy sex stories or catching tales of me sneaking out to crazy parties, only to find how strongly I was inspired by the D.A.R.E. initiative. The entries eventually got juicy, though. Don't you worry about me. I did pretty good. As I got older and moved away from D.A.R.E. into Truth or D.A.R.E., hiding weed around my room proved to be my main challenge and priority. I'd buried in I'd bury it in drawers, inside shoes, packed away in backpack pockets, but these all felt too exposed. Not to mention the smell. The smell gave it away. And then finally, a hiding spot came to me like an epiphany sent from God herself. My kiddish cup. My kiddish cup was given to me by my synagogue when I had my bar mitzvah. The one gift I held on to because it seemed significant. It was metal or brass and drinking anything out of it made that liquid more important. I should mention that the Kiddush Cup is... I don't know if I'm saying that properly <laughs> either. But we're going with it. The Kiddush Cup is used to sanctify Shabbat and other Jewish holidays and is for wine or grape juice and not a crazy cup in which you're intended to test out other liquids to see if they feel more holy. But being Jewish is all about asking questions and my curiosity was piqued. Did water become holy because it was in the cup? Would it be okay to put ice in it? Would I dare use it to eat ice cream out of? Would people be intimidated if I was using the cup in a casual manner at the kitchen table? Oh my god, hang on. Need some water. <sighs> Jesus, alright. And it wasn't just the cup that felt significant. It was also its container. It came in a purple velvet box with a custom inside fitted perfectly for the cup. As I was examining the scope of my room for the ideal place to stash my stash, it came to me. I could hide the weed in the cup itself, so even when the box was opened, you couldn't see it. It was truly a holy experience. I realize this confession is intense for some, extremely enlightening for others, and possibly sacrilegious for many, and I'm okay finding that middle ground. I needed a safe space and found it in my kiddush cup. I feel as though my rabbi would somehow be proud that my weed was consistently sanctified. My privacy is even more sacred now, although I'm certainly sharing more of my work than I ever have before. Staying at this B&B instead of a hotel all day suddenly felt like a loss of privacy, and locking this door was all I had left between me and whoever was downstairs. Would I be able to have whatever shitty scones they had in peace? Should I try to bring my meal back up to my room? That seems like it'd be frowned upon at a bread and breakfast. And then, just as I realized I was still standing in the hall quietly weighing my options, I noticed the door of another guest room ajar. I couldn't help but take a peek inside. Of course, nothing was out of the ordinary. When doors are left open like that, there's nothing, There's never something going on. Never an open briefcase full of cash. Never a bloody knife dripping from the bed. Never old people slow dancing. I'm always really hoping for the last one. Finally, I made it down to breakfast. The old-fashioned wood finishes and cozy knickknacks now felt like more of a friend's parents' house in high school, lived in and full of stuff from whatever beachy destination they went on for the week. 
My clunky key hardly fit in my jean shorts pocket and an ache of anxiety started to grow in my chest. I saw the coffee area was self-serve and went right for it. It's widely known the best coffee for anxiety is always coffee. I filled a fancy porcelain coffee cup as high as I could. You know the ones, each a different pattern with their own saucers. My mom had these, antique coffee cups that she brings out only after dinner at special occasions and holidays like Thanksgiving and Rosh Hashanah. These cups are extremely delicate and can only store a few sips of coffee, coffee at a time. You can't fit a finger through the handle, not even a pinky. Not that you'd ever pick up a cup of coffee with your pinky, but when the finger you usually use doesn't fit through the handle, you test out the other fingers. It's the obvious next step. It sure sounds like I have a major beef with these coffee cups, and I guess I do. The mere presence of them makes me feel somehow ignorant of what civilized people are supposed to be like, as if the cups are telling my hand is too burly to be in their presence. They're fancy for fancy's sake. While we're here, I also want to touch on the whole saucer issue. I'm going to cut to the chase and say I believe they're on the, on the outs. They're reserved for these fancy coffee cups at bed and breakfasts, dinner, diners, and special occasions. I don't need a place for my spoon after I stir my coffee, or even if I did, when you put it down on the saucer, which I believe is what the rules and guidelines of saucers and spoons are, it creates a mess. The spoon has just been stirred around the coffee and now it's just going to drip into the divot of the saucer. So every time you lift up the cup, the bottom is soaking wet because it's filled with coffee and the spoon brought in. We could blame it on the spoon, but I firmly believe in the importance of the spoon, so I'm not going there. I'm just saying what we're all thinking. I know this is controversial, typical bed and, be bed and breakfast controversy here, but I just don't feel like we need saucers. There, I said it. I took a few sips and refilled my tiny floral painted bullshit coffee cup and found a small table by the wall. You ever try to carry a full cup of coffee by the saucer? You thought I was finished with this and apparently I'm not. The sound alone is enough to drive you mad. The clanking of the ceramic against ceramic, hitting in a, in an ineb hinting at an inevitable spill, a future crash on the floor, havoc. This is the type of thing I linger on for too long. The table itself was covered with glasses, so many plates, too many knives. The proper table setting. Bed and breakfast seem to be one of the last places on earth that hold fast to the traditions of fine dining. We shall use all the silverware, have courses, be dignified. I sat there in jean shorts, a t-shirt, and a tevis. I don't usually wear tevis. I thought there might be water involved at some point along my trip, me walking into water to be more specific and I could think of no better option than Tevis. While I waited for a menu that never came, bed and breakfast apparently don't have menus, I scoped out the dining room and remembered something I often forgot until it's staring me at the, in the face. I was by myself in a place where one usually isn't. The, media, the mediocre small talk, and I was anxiously... Uh, the mediocre small talk I was anxiously anticipating upstairs wouldn't have been a thing if I was with someone because I'd be making terrible conversation with them. And then I took a closer look at the fine dining room and an even more obvious realization came over me. Right, bed and breakfast are a thing couples do. Wonder fucking fool. 
I sat there alone, my main relationship at the moment being the passive-aggressive situation with my cup and saucer, in a room full of people staring into each other's eyes, weaving their arms through the many glasses that covered their tabletops to hold hands. Breakfast at a bed and breakfast as a single person traveling alone is not great. It's not something I would highly recommend. It's as if you're struggling to lift a fancy coffee cup up to your mouth with a, with a spotlight directly on you, the sound of your fingers trying desperately to fit through the tiny handle, amplified so other conversations can't continue. People looking in your direction, small gasps, horror. This is what fueled my inner dialogue, one side arguing how stupid I'd been to make this choice, and the other worrying about what those other people those pairs might think of me here, alone. In reality, no one was glaring or shooting me looks, but I stood out. I didn't fit in with the dining room of couples on their romantic getaways. I'd gotten so caught up in the delight of the bed and breakfast, and in, I'd seen on TV, I forgot to actually picture myself there, in that situation. I'd gone from imagining meet-cutes on the front porch to worrying about making small talk, to now feeling insecure about being the only person in sight. I eat out alone all the time and never feel this pang of uncomfortable social anxiety, but in heightened, coupled off scenarios like weddings, holidays, vacations, and now bed and breakfast, in my own mind, the fact that I am alone becomes the most significant thing about me, which is why I tend to avoid them. This fantasy, this projection I was throwing into the dining room was part of the social narrative I had seen forever, one I try to stop reciting. A youngish single woman alone in a bed and breakfast as, is seen as inherently pathetic instead of incredibly empowering. A man on my same road trip would be viewed as a cool loner, figuring himself out as he explored the vast roads of our beautiful country. There are no projections about the men, no questions, no pity. As insecure as I can get about this narrative, about what people might be thinking of me, it is drastically overpowered by a sounding alarm I have installed that blares, do not give a fuck. And if women ever do dare to risk the humiliating experience of eating alone, we better do it right. I remember an episode of Sex in the City where beautiful music swells as we pull back on Samantha eating by herself in a bustling New York City restaurant. The empowering message we were sold was that she was completely alone, without distraction. No book or anything to occupy her attention or keep her company, because those things take away from being truly oneself. She was proudly owning the horrific experience of a meal on her own. I get it. When you don't have something to work on or to read, it's a totally different story. You are completely exposed. But why is that the only way to own your independence? Why is that the brave moment? A man's self-confidence and into in independence are never called into question when he's reading at dinner. Call me crazy, but I usually read alone. I write alone. I think alone. Just because you have shit to do and want to also eat out at a delicious restaurant while you're taking care of business doesn't mean you aren't as independent or comfortable with yourself. I say bring your fucking library out with you and own that. Do whatever you want. You don't have to sit silently, chewing each bite 50 times or whatever you're supposed to do to digest properly and stare out into the masses of people interacting with each other to be comfortable with being alone. 
Now we can pull away slowly as beautiful music swells. Maybe I had to stay at that bed and breakfast to clarify what my personal preferences are, to realize how much I value my privacy and to get a wake up call that TV shows are not reality. You'd think I'd know that by now, but the suspension of disbelief can be strong when we are at our weakest. I ended up talking to one of the owners for about an hour as I ate breakfast, a man in his late 60s who owned the B&B with his wife. He told me about his family, stories about how he ended up in Asheville. This was his second life. He started over again with this bed and breakfast. He asked me where I was going and when I said California, he told me all about when he lived there in his early 20s with a bunch of friends surfing and trying to figure himself out. As he spoke, the old fish, the old fashioned wood finishing and the decorative knickknacks became charming again. The coffee was delicious. The keys in my pocket were weirdly massaging an area on my hip that needed it. I'd make the most of this place and there was a rocking chair with my name on it, but there weren't any scones. Okay, and that's going to wrap up chapter three. I just um, <laughs> had <laughs> the memory of disassociating as a child and I would get lost in books. Funny that I would have that memory reading right now. I just remember like totally getting lost in books as a kid and using my imagination to disassociate from what was happening in my environment. Interesting little repeat. Okay, so that's going to wrap it up. Um, hopefully talk to you guys soon. And yeah, take care of yourselves and each other. Bye.